So the full and complete gospel is foretold through the holidays in the Bible, the seven biblical holidays that were given to Moses. Not the partial gospel that leaves most Christians barely better off than non-believers, but the complete plan of God, the glorious plan that he has had since the very beginning um, and the, his purpose for mankind, his purpose for our lives and for us all being here, uh, a plan to take us from death to life, uh, to change us from orphans to sons. He, he wants to, he's inviting to make us an, an integral part of the most amazing story that we could possibly imagine is what he's working out. And this is to glorify himself so that all creation can know his wisdom and love. Um, if we want to know about the end times, which a lot of people are interested in, um, he gives us a clear description of how and what in many of the books of the Bible as, as foretold and what that's going to look like and as foretold in the, the holidays that he gave Moses. Um, and so we're, we're going to go over them. We are in the high holy season right now. We're in the season of the fall feasts. And um, so we're going to go over it, but a little differently than we have before. In the spring, I, I think, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I think I kind of went in more detail as I have multiple times before on what the holidays were and, and what they are, what they will be. I'm doing this a little bit differently. I, I tried to tell a friend uh, last week, uh, I met with my friend for lunch, I tried to explain the holidays because they had just begun and his eyes glazed over. <laughs> Before I'd asked him what the Lord's doing in his life and he shared something and he asked what he was doing in mine. I started sharing how I've been trying to implement more of the Lord's order in our family life. And his, he was getting teary-eyed by what I was sharing. And then I started sharing about the holidays because we're in the holiday season. And he, like I said, he got kind of glazed over at that point. And I could tell he just had zero interest. But that's because we don't understand just how much the Lord is showing us about what is to come through this season. So um, the holiday, you know, the cultural transformation, which he was very interested in hearing about, is foretold in the holiday season. And what we see this a lot in these fall high holy days. Um, and so everything we want and need is God's plan. Maybe not everything our flesh wants, but everything we truly want is, is foretold for this season. And so hopefully I can give a clearer picture of that today. And, um, you know, just say, what is, what is God's purpose? What are his ways? Um, we, we can't come into his purpose without knowing his ways. And so that's his intent for us. Um, and so we, we can look back and see Jesus fulfilled the first three holidays. We can look back and see the Holy Spirit fulfilled the middle holiday, the fourth. If we have eyes to see, we can look forward and see how God is going to fulfill the prophecy of the last three holidays. He hasn't changed his mind. Um, if, if we just look at them as Jewish holidays that have no relevance, then we don't know the Bible really well. And that's not how Jesus, Peter, Paul, and everybody else in the Bible looked at things, as the New Testament makes super clear with all the references. Um, but 
the, the fall feasts are a picture of the end time fulfillment of God's plan. He started at, in the garden, the garden of Eden. Um, he will have a people who are fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. It's going to look a little different than what was originally offered to Adam and Eve because they allowed sin to enter the world and turned over the keys to Satan. But nevertheless, God hasn't changed his mind. He's still going to do what he promised and planned. Um, I'm not going to spend as much time going over the basics today just because we've done that multiple times. And I, I just wanted to share the sort of the new things I've been praying with the Lord over uh, over these last couple weeks. Um, however... Um, I'm, I'm, I know that y'all don't have it all. It took me a long time to, to get kind of the basic fundamentals down. And if any, something I'm saying doesn't make sense because there's like a fundamental piece you don't understand, just stop me and, and I'll, we'll go over that. Um, it, and also, I'm going to be scatter shooting a little bit because these things kind of came in clumps of different days that I was sitting with the Lord about it. And... Um, I just haven't had time to make it as neat and orderly as, as I might like. Um, just a quick reminder. So the spring feasts are Passover. Hebrew is Pesach. And then Feast of Unleavened Bread is the seven days uh, after that, one day. The Passover is one day. Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. Uh, Jesus was uh, the sacrificial lamb on uh, Passover. Feast of First Fruits is a day that occurs during Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that's the day that Jesus raised was risen from the dead, right? Early summer feast. I'm going to call it summer. It's probably late spring is more accurate. It's easier to say summer. Usually seems to happen in May. Uh, is the Feast of Weeks, or Greek Pentecost, Hebrew Shavuot. And then there's a very long wait until the fall feast. And here we are, um, I believe they start, yeah, they started in September. They'll finish up here by mid-October or so. Um, and these are trumpets, or you commonly hear it called Rosh Hashanah, or biblically it's it was introduced as Yom Teruah. Uh, that's the Feast of Trumpets. The Day of Atonement was just kind of yesterday, if we go by our way of thinking, or since the sundown here, I guess two days ago, was Wednesday, including Tuesday night. Wes, isn't a piece of trumpets the, the new year? Yeah, so that's uh, Rosh Hashanah means head of the year, so new year. The uh, you, We flipped over into a new year. I think it's 5783 now. Um, and yeah, so a lot of interesting things have happened on that day, which we talked about before. Um Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths is uh, Booth is probably a more correct tab, uh, translation because it it's not the giant tabernacle; it's the small family tent that the feast refers to. Um, but it's you know it's when God God had the people in the wilderness where and He was with them; He took care of all their needs. Um, that's Feast of Tabernacles, and uh, that's called Sukkot in in Hebrew. Uh, and so these holidays are all connected. That, that was really the big thing that really stuck out to me this year. Um, we have the sacrifice of Passover. is very similar to the scapegoat of atonement. So Passover in the spring, atonement in the fall. Um, they're, they're just very connected. One is escape from the first death. Freedom from your physical life being the be-all, end-all 
um, you know, the end of your, all your understanding, right? We, we understand because of the cross, because of Jesus coming and giving us new life, that we have eternal life in him, right? Um, the scapegoat of atonement has to do with our ultimate end. Do we have... Um, wait, wait, uh, there's a finality with atonement, right? It's escape from the second death. And we have, if, if we enter into that during our life, it, this is key to these feasts. If we enter into the reality that these feasts introduce, these fall feasts, these high holy days, we enter into it while we're still alive. So we overcome the second death. It's freedom from constraints of your flesh, of this world, its rules, structures, and norms. Um, where you fully exist in an alternate reality. It's called a kingdom or heaven, right? Um, we, have, we, we become subject to rules from above, not necessarily the rules of this world. Um, even while we're still in this body. We're, I'm going to talk very little, if at all, about anything that happens after we die, right? I'm, I'm not thinking about that. I'm talking about God's plan for while we're here. Um, and, and so these things, it first is gradually, but there will be a suddenly, right? There will be, an, there will be a very end. <laughs> there will be an end of time. There will be a, a very last day. I think we're, we're still a ways away from that, personally. I don't know if that will be during my lifetime or not, but I, what I do know is the promise of what God's going to do during this time, in, in this generation, and, and that's far more interesting to me um, because that's what he's about. I want to be a part of what he's about now. I don't want to spend my time philosophizing about what might happen long after I'm dead and, and waste the here and now that he's given me to be a part of in each of us. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> okay, so the sheep will be separated from the goats on the final judgment day, right? The day of atonement. Um, the sacrificed goat is holy, so they would bring two goats on the day of atonement. There's also a bull, but I'm just talking about the goats. They'd bring two goats. The, uh, the bull was for the high priest. The, the goats, um, one was sacrificed for the people, but then all the sins of the people were put on the scapegoat, and he was sent off into the wilderness. He, he lived, but he carried all the sins with him. Um, <laughs> feast of Weeks, the summer feast, is, uh, in that one's, I don't know, if, yeah, I said it, Pentecost or Shavuot. Um, it connects the spring and the fall feast. It has the trumpets of fall, right? When you, if you read about Moses going up uh, the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, there's all the thunder, there's the trumpets, there, there's this big thing. Well, obviously that's the Feast of Trumpets of the Fall. Um, but it also has the sacrifice and repentance of spring. Because, you know, they're, they're coming, if you, if you think about it, even, the, uh, even when he came down after initially getting the, the thing, even many of the people had to be killed in order to purify the people from the mixture, in order for them to even continue with God. God wanted to wipe them all out. Um, so it, it connects both. We have the holy mountain that we must ascend, just as Moses did, just as Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain. Uh, Jewish tradition says that happened on the Day of Trumpets, which was last week, what, 11 days ago? Um, 
but there's a clear connection to Passover, right? Because he was going to kill his, his promised son and Jesus, excuse me, the father provided a ram, a sacrifice instead of his son. And so there's a, a clear picture and connection with Passover there. Um, and so... And a ram is a sheep, right? And a ram is a male sheep, yep. But since we're all called to come up God's mountain, right? That's a clear end times picture of us coming up the holy mountain to be a people fully with God. That's what the fall feasts are all about. Um, And also Abraham demonstrated his faith and proved himself worthy, right? That's where I think Hebrews talks about um, Abraham showing his faith. By being willing, can you imagine waiting 100 years to finally have this son and then, and then God tells you to kill him? He, he demonstrated amazing faith in being able to obey God even in that and proved himself worthy. And so this is also core for us growing up. So if God grows us up from being mere children to being mature sons. And that's, of course, as Paul explains multiple times, it has nothing to do with whether you're a man or a woman, but a, a spiritual position as a son representing the household, not a boy, not a child, but one who represents the house. And so Hebrews 12 um, is about this coming up the mountain. It talks about discipline, discipleship, leads to an unshakable kingdom, which is the fulfillment of tabernacles. And if we understand what God's doing, he's reconstituting the garden, right? He's reconstituting the original plan and purpose that he set Adam and Eve in. We just have a lot tougher way in than they had. And so we're going to read a little bit from Hebrews 12. Um, if someone, Carrie, you want to read Hebrews 12, 2 and 3? on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So Jesus was living in a reality that he considered it joy to endure the cross. He was not in a reality where he was obsessed with his personal comfort. He was in a reality that God was doing something amazing through his obedience to the Father. And just as we just mentioned with Abraham, he did something impossible because he believed the Father. And he considered it joy that God would do such a transformational work both in his life and in every single one who chose to follow him, to if he would simply endure the cross, despise the shame. And then God he sat him down at his right hand, right? And so, so Paul said, well, sorry, I, I think Paul wrote Hebrews, so I might slip and call him Paul, but the author of Hebrews says, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Um. And so this, you know, this was Passover. Jesus ascended to the right hand at Passover. But we are called to ascend as sons at 
the fall feast at the end times, right? Where he's, there, there's a time. Romans 8 talks about um, the, the world groaning in anticipation for the many sons of God to be raised up, right? God takes his many sons through a similar process as that of Jesus. It takes discipline. It takes endurance. Not to die on a cross. Only one person was called to that. He made the way for us, but he called us to willingly pick up our cross and follow him. Not a physical one, but a, a, a spiritual reality and way of life of following him. And then the father will raise us up as his sons. So continuing on in um, Hebrews, I'm going to skip down to verse 7. Uh, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He says, if you're a Christian and God has not been disciplining you, then you're illegitimate. You haven't really, really come into this walk yet. And so that doesn't mean we can't, but it might mean we need to wake up and truly seek him, right? Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be, and I would add eagerly, subject, subject to the father of spirits and live? So he says, if we know our fathers disciplined us for good and we realize that the God, the heavenly father that knows all and loves us more than our own fathers, what he's disciplining us into is for much more for our good. We should be eager for this process. For they've disciplined us for a short time. It seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. That's a pretty powerful thing, right? That we can share in the holiness of God. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So in Romans 14, Paul, uh, Paul gives a uh, definition for the kingdom of God. He says it's not a matter of eating and drinking. In other words, it's not about the things of the world, right? The things we get caught up in. It's about righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And what did the writer of Hebrews here just say in this one paragraph? He got all three of those words in here. So he's talking about a process of coming into the kingdom of God. 12, therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet and then be healed. So he's, he's basically saying, kind of reads wonky, I think, but he's basically saying, buck up, you know, give yourself to this process. Um, and then in 16, he mentions there will be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. Esau is known as one who was all about the flesh, right? He cared about his own comfort. And so he's, he chose that over the promises and blessings of God. And even later, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, and he says, don't go the way of Esau. He's talking to Christians here, right? He's talking about, if we go earlier in the book, I think it's around, what, chapter 6 maybe? He says, 
it's definitely not calling them mature. He said, you ought to be mature by now. But he said, I'm going to go ahead and talk about mature subjects in this letter. And, Mm. and so he's, he's warning Christians on one hand and encouraging Christians on the other hand of what's possible to step into. At the same time, the scripture makes it clear. Well, we'll get into it, but that, the, the fullness of these things will happen later on, right? Remember, there's the long wait from... Mosquito? I think it's more of a gnat. <laughs> Tiny. Um, it, it's, there's a long wait from Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, to the Fall Feast. There's been a long wait <laughs> from the early church till today, right? Um, but God certainly speaks, and we'll, we'll share a, just a small portion of those tonight of uh, the huge things he's going to do in these last times. Um, So God instructed Moses, Israel, uh, that they should humble and afflict themselves before the Lord on the Day of Atonement. So you commonly hear that that Jews fast on this day. Um, Apparently, I hadn't realized that till this year, but that's not actually scriptural. It just says humble or afflict yourself. And of course, that's a... a very common sense way to, to do that. Um, and, of course, we know Jesus went behind the, went into the Holy of Holies, split the veil, right? So, on one hand, the daily day of atonement, like, there's, there's no, um, there's no ram being, uh, being killed for us on this day for the, for the next year. Like, Jesus has done that once and for all. But at the same time, the holiday will be fulfilled. So we don't want to ignore it (laughs) because it will be fulfilled. It will be one of the seven biggest events in the history of the world, right? Um, So if we give ourselves to the process, God leads us through the process in order to transform us, right? The process has a purpose to transform us from fallen man, son of Adam, to being of Christ, And so skipping down in Hebrews 12 to verses 22 to 29. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So it's this picture that that God's people are his new city, right? Jerusalem is now not a place in Israel so much as there's a spiritual Jerusalem that is his people. And to myriad of angels and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. So the church of the first, who's the firstborn? Firstborn is Jesus, right? He's firstborn from the dead. The general church, the called out ones who are a part of Jesus. He says, you are now a part of this assembly. This is those enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. So we have God the Father, judge of all, and Jesus the mediator. So now when we stand before the Lord, we have Jesus to mediate. We stand in his righteousness, not in our own flesh and what we're worth as, as a person of the flesh, but what he's worth as someone who is completely obedient to the Father. Uh, tw- any, 
Van, would you read uh, from verse 25? It's probably to the end, to 25 to 29. I'm not sure if that's the end or not. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warned from heaven. His voice shook in the earth, the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that which, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So he says, don't refuse him in speaking. And he mentions those who went up the mountain with Moses, right? They, they ended up not going his way. God offered them a tremendous covenant, tremendous blessing, but also said there's curse if you don't go my way. They chose the way of the curse. And he says, yet once more, it was, he says, you're not going to escape if they didn't escape, right? It's more real what's being offered to you. It's more powerful because it's being offered straight from heaven. And so don't miss this. Choose the Lord. And he says, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. So if, if you're familiar with Revelation 12, I know we've certainly talked about it before, but... He's saying, and you can look around, you can see a lot of shaking going on, and there's going to be a whole lot more. It's going to get real interesting real fast. Um, but the, the, the heavens are being shaken, right? The, the principalities, the thrones are being thrown down to cause havoc in this world. And so he says, this expression here once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So he very purposefully is shaking down all the, all the norms, all the systems of man, so that he can raise up a new thing, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He says, show gratitude to God. He's doing this and he's made you a part of it. So make an offer to God, an acceptable service so that we may offer to God an acceptable service. You know, make yourself an offering to God with reverence and awe because he is an awesome God and anything that we are infatuated in this world, he is a billion times more awesome than that, right? For our God is a consuming fire. That's, that's almost a scary way of thinking about God, right? But mm-hmm. it's scary to be outside of his way and his love. It's, it's, there's nothing more beautiful than being inside his love and choosing to say, yes, Lord, I, I want your way in my life. Um, 
So we're invited to climb his mountain, to be his holy city, the spiritual Jerusalem. And now we stand before the Holy of Holies, God the judge with Jesus as our mediator. And this is to bring us into fulfillment of God's original plan and purpose for humanity. He wants a people that will agree to be a part of his purpose. Now, if we look at what what was being quoted here is Haggai. So we're going to flip to Haggai chapter 2. Five through nine. Um, I'll read it. As for the promise, which um, sure, do you know? Okay. Let's have a cook. So on H. Anyone help me out? I don't remember the order of these. I think it's further than that. Ariana knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm over here flipping through. <laughs> Haggai's towards the back, right before Zechariah. Yeah. Oh, there he is. Okay. Haggai 2. Of course, we pick a two-chapter prophet for Callum to ask to read it. 2, 5 through 9, which would be... Wait, so five? Here's 5, this one. To, to the end. You have five, five to here. Okay, right to the Lord? Yep, right to here. Wait, so from five. Five. Mm-hmm. That is what is promised. You, like, that, that is what I promised. You, you when you, that's, <gasps> Oh, promised you. Yeah. When you came out of Egypt. When you came out of Egypt. My spirit continues to be with you. So do not be afraid. The Lord says, In a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth once more. I will also shake the ocean and the dry land. I will shake all the nations then what is this thread sorry where are you desired by all nations nations will come to my temple and i will fill the temple with glory says the lord who rules over all gold the silver belongs to me so does the gold so does the gold announces the Lord who rules over all. The new temple will be more beautiful than the first one was, says the Lord, and I will place And in this place and in this place I will bring a special I will bring peace. I will bring priests announces The Lord who rules over all. The Lord who rules over all. All right, so I'm just some key words, and some of them weren't in there. He, he's got a great, that was a good job, Callum. Uh, Thank he's, you. Um, he's got a little different version. So see to it that you do not refuse him. Who, sorry. So he, he's saying, as for the promise which I made to you when you came out of Egypt. So coming out of Egypt is a picture of coming out of the ways of the world, right? Coming into God's order from the world. That Egypt represents the, wor- the way of the world around us. My spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. 
So do not fear what they fear. All the, all the shaking and whatever that's going on around, that should be of no concern, right? We're not a part of that world. We're, we're only a part of that world to the degree that we give it rulership in our lives. How do we give it rulership? By being afraid of it. That gives Satan license to wreak havoc in our lives because we've said, what you're doing, Satan, what you're about is, is important in my life. When we said, I only worship the Lord, we do not fear, right? For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. They will come with the wealth of all nations and I will fill this house with glory. So he's, he will provide every means for his people to rise up and accomplish everything. He says, the, the silver's mine, the gold's mine. I, I will provide everything needed in order to bring about my purposes through my people. And I will fill this house with glory. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. So he says that his house, his temple, his end times people will be greater than anything he's done before. Right? That's a powerful promise. But that's what he says he has reserved for us. Um. So if we look at the first three feasts being about Jesus, he showed and made the way, right? He, nothing is possible for us without Jesus. We were all, it was impossible for every single person who lived before him to obey the Father in, in every way. And it would have been impossible for every, way of us, every one of us to do what Jesus did. Only he could do what he did. And so he showed us how to obey the Father, and he made it possible for us to obey by lending us his righteousness, right? The Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, is about the Holy Spirit being given to transform us, right? God gave Moses the law on this day, but later he wrote the law on our hearts when, when uh, the disciples were waiting around for the promised counselor that Jesus said he would send, right? And so Jesus as an individual... Uh, sorry, to, so we could be like Jesus as an individual, also as a people and even as the world. Like you, you can see the world has been impacted through Christ spreading throughout the world. There, there's, no, there's no doubt the world is dramatically different because of the teachings of, of God. And yet the fall feasts are about God's original purpose being fulfilled, the fullness, the, the complete transformation um, it's the fall feasts aren't about Jesus. Uh, it's about a people all being like Jesus and God finally being glorified. Uh, that he and his way are good and wise and they, that his ways finally establish a reigning order through his people, his kingdom, right? That his garden vision would be fulfilled. Now, if you're a Jew, the first part, Jesus uh, being, you know, Jews call, called the seven uh, major feasts, they call them rehearsals. But if, they're, if it's not a Messianic Jew, you're, you're still just kind of uh, uh, orthodox or, or, you know, you don't believe in Jesus. Um, then you, the religious spirit is going to make it hard to believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of these rehearsals. If you're a Christian, this idea that God would use us to fulfill his purpose is what the religious spirit makes difficult to grab hold of, right? 
it's easy for us to look back and and uh and look to something else and, and make an idol and set it on the counter and go about with a worldly life. But God wants more than that from us, for us. Um, but Jesus didn't conform to the old way. He was new wine. He couldn't be put in the old wineskin that was there. So he upset the whole system that was before because it couldn't contain him, right? And he expects us to do the same. He has provided both the pattern to follow and the spirit so that we can walk in this way, that we can be a part of uh, this transformational thing in in these end times. And again, I I said earlier, but just to be clear, when I say end times, that doesn't mean I think time's going to wrap up uh, any year now. I don't believe that at all. Um, But God is moving in a powerful way like he only does in certain seasons throughout history, and we are in one of those seasons. Um, uh, So, you know, we think of Passover or Christians uh, in in English like to use it. Wes? Yeah. Wes, you say he's moving, isn't he moving more powerfully in this age and not just the season? That's semantics. Well, well, I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> an age being like we had the end of the age with when yeah, when, the church age is ending and the kingdom age is has has begun. Yes, so that's true. I, I just I'm not I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about the word season. I'm just using the season to mean okay, okay. The, what he's doing right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Um. So if we talk about the Passover Easter season, now I am talking about a season, right? That's the spring. <laughs> uh, you know, Jews think of Egypt, right? Coming out of Egypt. That's what Passover means to Jews. Uh, Christians think of the cross. That's when Jesus was crucified and rose again. And so it's easy um, for us to consider, you know, I think both religions consider that the most holy time of year because we can look back and we can understand it. Right? With whatever framework we have to understand it, we, we have pretty clear understanding of what those things are looking back. Um, you don't even hear Jews really talk about tabernacles or Sukkot very much. I mean, it, it's there. If you're very orthodox, you celebrate it, but you don't hear about it very much. I, I think um, I, I have like the uh, so-called Jewish uh, holidays um, on my... Jewish uh, on my on my iPhone. It, it's tells. Which ones do they not talk about very much? Yeah. Tabernacles. Sukkot, which is Feast of Tabernacles. Yeah, which is starts Sunday night, and um, it goes for a week. And so I don't even think my my phone, even though it has all kinds of Jewish holiday, it has like Hanukkah on there. Hanukkah is a super minor holiday. Uh, <laughs> Sukkot is a one of the seven big holidays that God gave Moses. And yet my, my phone will tell me that one, <laughs> you know, Apple, whoever creates the calendar for Apple will tell me that, but not this. Um, so it, it's just, it's not well understood. And of course, Christians who should be the most excited about it, um, you know, even less so. Um, so the Bible says tabernacles is what will be celebrated forever. Okay, that's the one, the one holiday that the Bible points out, like this is going to be celebrated forever. Um, this is, it foretells the end time reality that goes beyond the important introductory truths of Passover, but
but goes on into something greater. It goes on into fulfillment. So if you turn to Zechariah 14, I'm going to read, read bits because I'm going to read bits of the whole chapter, so I'm going to skip portions. Um, Starting in the beginning, Behold, a day is coming for, for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you, for I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. So you see kind of half the people of God like, like being pulled out, right? Being no longer part of the people of God. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. So now you have a smaller group of people, but now the Lord is fervently fighting on their behalf when he fights on a day of battle. Going down to verse six. In that day, there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle for it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about that at evening time, there will be light. So this gave me the picture in my mind of the, the people when they were in the wilderness, which is what Tabernacles represents. There was a pillar of fire by night, right? They, all, they, were, they had supernatural light at night to see and they, you know, the presence of God with them. Eight, in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. So we see, again, this picture of living waters, of the life of God flowing out of the people of God. And this is, and he goes on to say it's in summer as well as winter. So I don't know, Ariana, I think people around here can, can get that. We have a ton of springs that dry up in the summer. So if wow. in the winter or spring, they're flowing, they're, if you like to go play in water, they're a lot of fun. Um, and if, of course, back in those times, you drink from it, right? So it's super important. Uh, we just play in it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it dries up in the summer. Some of the most beautiful places in Austin, um, they're in the summer and it depends on the year what, what part of the year that dries up how much rain we get but they dry up so similar thing there and so he's saying but this is a flow that never stops right mm-hmm. and so nine and the lord will be king over all the earth in that day the lord will be the only one in his name the only one so we have all the mixture all the division done away with and the lord is king eleven Skipping down, people will live in it and there will no longer be a curse for Jerusalem will dwell in security. So the, the people are no longer have party to the curse that the world is under, but are fully secured in and with the Lord. 12, now this will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who have gone to war against Jerusalem. So again, there's a plague out there. It's you know, interesting. We've had a plague here the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, he says, I, I will strike down the ways of the world. Like everything that will, can be shaken will be shaken. 14 says, Judah also will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered. So again, the same picture, right? We have God bringing the means to his people to, and, and I don't want to make that just, just about money, but it's basically saying, I will bring about the things which seem impossible to you because you think, well, we're a small people and this is a big world. There's all kinds of powers and things going on. He says, yeah, but I'm God and I own everything. I control everything and I will make this happen. Then it will come about that any who are left, sorry, this is 16. 
Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. So we have all, you know, all the world having to do it. And it goes, I'm not going to read that part, but it goes on to say any who don't are, are living under the curse. They're, they're uh, you know, great difficulties upon them. Going down to 20, in that day there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses. So horse is not like a holy thing, right? A horse is kind of a dirty thing, right? But he says the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. And the cooking pots, again, a cooking pot is not your fine thing. A cooking pot is an ordinary thing, right? And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the bowls before the altar. So he said, I will make the things of my people holy. Every cooking pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. And all who sacrifice will come and take of them and boil in them. And there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts in that day. So he's saying, I'm removed all the mixture." My people are pure. They are united and pure in me in one purpose, and I am flowing mightily in them and through them. So God is claiming an end times people who are willing to leave the ways of the world behind. Uh, you know, that sounds easy, but it, of course it's really, really hard, right? We're grow, we grew up in this world. We grew up in certain culture. We have the culture of uh, the country we're, we're born in and live in. We have the culture of our families. We have the culture, all these things, all these ways. There's some good aspects and bad aspects, but none of these things are the culture of the Lord, right? So we, we've grown up in these ways, but he's saying, no, I need to teach you my ways. So we have to be willing to give up all the ways of the world around us. And he, and he will give us the grace if we are simply willing to give ourselves fully to this. He will establish his culture in a people willing to learn and obey. Um, and so, you know, the, the, there is a way of blessing. Uh, it is a struggle. Um, but he's, uh, he says, I'm going to make a way out of the way of the curse. And Jesus kind of echoed this on the last day of the feast. If we turn to John 7, verses 37, 38, say, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So we just read that, right? Well, Jesus is now saying, Jesus was on. So how many days is that from now? Today's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, four and seven is 11. So in 11 days, the last great day of the feast, this is when Jesus was teaching this, right? That rivers of living water will flow out of those who come to him and learn his ways, believe in him. Uh, and so if you look over the last couple thousand years, there's certainly many people that you can look at and say, well, that's like one that he's talking about. Like that, that's an amazing man or woman of God. There's amazing things happening through him and in him. Um, but does that describe a whole people? Does that describe all of us? God's intention and his plan for this coming generation is that he has an entire people, a set apart people. If I'm not going to flip there, but in Leviticus 16, 
God explains in quite detail. The Day of Atonement is explained far more than any of the other uh, holidays. And he goes through and he talks about the scapegoat and the sacrificial goat. And um, the sacrificed goat is sacrificed to put the people in right standing with God. The scapegoat bears our sins. Both are a picture of Jesus. But if we look at Jesus as the one bearing our sins and us sacrificing our lives, what happens then? What, what do we get from that picture? We give up our right to our own ideas, right? If we're allowing ourselves to be sacrificed, we're giving up our right to our own ideas of what we think is good and right for our lives. We're giving up our intentions, our goals, our plans. And good night, kids. God, or Daddy, mm-hmm. you're not God. Um, could I please stay? I really wanted to see what this is like, so... Weston! Uh, whatever Mommy said to you about that, I'm gonna... Did, did Mommy say you need to go to bed? She said I can. I should ask. Okay, you can can stay up, but you gotta be still and listen, all right? Okay, can you tell me what this means? I've I've, I've read this every single time. Okay, that's not the time for that. Okay, ask me later, okay? Okay. All right. Um, so, So, we give up our right to our own ideas and desires, we allow those to be hung on the cross. We are then brought into the Holy of Holies in order to be offered up as the sacrifice to bless others, right? Jesus put himself on a cross so that every one of us could be blessed, right? But if we pick up our cross and follow him, we sacrifice our lives so that now we can become the blessing, that the rivers of living water flowing out of us, and we are now blessing others with our lives. Um, so... And, and expand God's wisdom and ways in the earth, right? That's, that's how he grows his kingdom. There's finality in the day of atonement that's not present in Passover, right? There's always another Passover to get right with God. Um, the, but the final day of atonement, final judgment day, that's, that's the end, right? Even though the fall feasts are about bringing glory to the Father, still we see Jesus in the middle of the fall feast. Um, God is glorified by having his people who choose, who chose him and who choose daily to obey him to become a nation of priests. We'll get into that more, but this should not feel like a burden. He will do everything that we're unable to do. So it's kind of a weird, um, you know, both things are true. We have to give ourselves to the, to the process. Um, you know, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but violent men take it by force. Like we have to willingly overcome the flesh in the world to make ourselves available. But we don't have to be caught up on being whatever our idea of righteous or holy or whatever is that's beyond us because he gives us the grace and empowerment to become everything we need to be if we simply are willing and agree to it. Um, and, you know, his, his, he's glorified through all of us choosing him and his wisdom is then manifest to all of creation through us. Uh, and so Jesus also gave us a picture of the final day of atonement Right? He said he talked about separating the goats from the sheep. So in Matthew twenty five, thirty one to thirty four. Ariana, would you read that? 
I'm going to take a big drink of water. <laughs> Matthew 25, 31 to 34. Thirty-one, thirty-four. Yes. Okay, yeah, it probably took me a while trying to remember what I memorized. Probably in the back of my head. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So we see Jesus here sitting on his throne again. All the nations gather before him, and he's separating, right? Sheep on right, goats on left. Wait, um, no, just listen, Wait. okay? Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. Who's inheriting? Do the slaves inherit? Orphans inherit? Do those far off inherit? No, the sons inherit, right? Come, you are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God has had this plan from the very beginning. He knew Adam would fail, right? He... he, he offered many covenants between Adam and Jesus. He knew they would all fail. He still offered them. He still always offered a way. But he knew there would be an end times people who would take up the challenge and be a part of his purpose. And he's prepared us for it. And so what was Jesus referring to? Let, let's turn to Ezekiel 34. So now we're going back to pretty far to the back. After limitations. Okay, 17 to 30. Okay, is he, find 34, 17. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the male goats. Is it too slight a thing for you that you should feel in the Sorry, that you should feed in the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the, your pasture. So you see, he's upset here. He, he, he's got some that are getting to eat the good pasture, but he says you're treading down the good pasture for others. So you're, you're able to eat in my good pasture, but you're making a mess for those who want to do right, right? So this is, this is a terrible mixture here. Or that should drink of the clear waters that you must foul the rest with your feet. As for my flock, they must eat what you tread down with your feet and drink what you foul with your feet. And so God's saying, I must separate out those who truly want to learn my ways and live in my ways and those who just want to claim the benefits without actually living in the way. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again because it's, it's important. We, the, the ways of the world are to think that numbers are really important, right? Oh, I have a thousand people in my congregation. I have, I've converted 10 million people to Christ, right? And, you know, we're all about numbers. This is a picture here being the very opposite. 
God is about a pure people, no matter the numbers. He can supply all the power necessary in a pure people. Um, we, uh, it was the mission trip that Karen and I met on. I had been on a mission trip of just a couple weeks earlier and God moved so powerfully. It was so, I was just shaking for, for like a week straight. I mean, it was just, it was just so powerful. And, you know, God was showing us all kinds of things as we prayed for others. And then we'd regroup that day because we'd be in different parts of the city and we'd regroup and everything we were praying was actually going on in their lives right at that moment as we were praying it. It was just, it was phenomenal. And then I went on this trip that I met Karen and um, yeah, that trip had three, they, they were both led by the same uh, rabbi, a Messianic uh, Jewish uh, rabbi. And, um, but they, we had local, he, he's not local to here. And we had local, we had one local leader on my first trip. We had three leaders on this trip. And so it was constant tugging and pulling. Of, and my first trip, it was a bunch of much newer believers with very limited to no experience on mission trips. The trip with Kara had lots, most of the people were experienced and all had plans and ideas of what they were going to do. And I was frustrated during the trip. I was telling him, when are we going to, because we would do this thing called, he called it ATL, Ask the Lord. And we would sit down and pray before the morning session and before the afternoon session, what we were going to do. And the Lord would tell us, you're going to go, you're going to be part of the, there'd be like five different groups or something. And so you're going to be part of this group. You're going to be part of this group. And, and it would go, and he was doing all kinds of cool things through that. And we weren't doing that on the second trip. And I asked him, why are we not doing that? That was so amazing. And he said, this, this group, is not ready for that. We can't, we can't do that. I look back and that trip was awesome because there was just amazing spiritual warfare and like really, really cool things that I experienced that I've never experienced anywhere else. I think mom's told me a story about that. Is she? That. Okay. And it might have just been you talking. Maybe. So, um, but the very last day, he, um, Maybe because I had experienced I had my frustration. Who knows? But uh, he offered the whole group, you know, I don't remember how many, 20, 30 people that are there. You can either pray and see what the Lord wants you to do. Or if you already know what you want to do today, then you can do that. Well, two thirds or more of the group said, I already know what I want to do. And they went on to do what they want to do. About a third of us said, well, I want to pray and see what God wants me to do today. It's pretty, like, insight, pretty interesting, right? Uh, so Karen and I were part of that group, and that last day was, like, as soon as those people left, because I hadn't experienced this like I had in the thing. As soon as that people left, and he started praying, boom, the Spirit just came over me just so powerfully. And, uh, and it was just, it was an amazing day. There were all these miracles and really cool things. And... We'd, we'd end up bringing this little boy who had, um, he, his grandmother, I don't even know if she was truly blood, but it was kind of like a grandmother. It was over his life as a witch and just some awful, he, there was a lot of cutting. The boy had lost scars and um, just terrible, awful things. And um, he ended up coming to the Lord. And again, it's a long story. There are all these miracles. Everything had to go perfectly in order for this to happen, all these things came together in a way that's just awesome. And, um, and the reports we got back later 
because some of the people were really in contact with him, is the boy's life was changed. Like he used to just cause havoc in school and all of a sudden none of that, you know, it was all different after that. So it was really cool. Um, but the point of all that story is we needed two thirds of the people to exit the room for God to really work in those that really want to be a part of what God was doing, whatever that might look like. Uh, we were on another mission trip in Israel and a similar thing that um, there were two women who, uh, they were nice, you know, but they, there was a lot of under the undercurrent difficulties they were creating. They did not want to be a part of what God was doing. They had a lot of their own ideas. Uh, we, we met a good friend named Kevin on that trip and um, he, he came into the trip, really wanted to speak in tongues. And and he, that's just because he was passionate about it. And there ended up being like a service that we went to about speaking in tongues, which was kind of crazy. And but these two women were really causing difficulty. Well, they we woke up one morning, find out they left. <laughs> they just left in the middle of the trip, and uh, never saw them again. <laughs> but uh, but that night. Um, we're, we're in a service, a messianic congregation, and, uh, I'd never seen this before, but, uh, Kevin was, ended up praying in tongues. And if you ever, you know, been somewhere really hot where, where like the sky shimmers, you ever seen that? You know, like in the desert, the sky shimmers. I was watching him and like the air in front of his mouth was shimmering as he was speaking in tongues. It was, it was really cool. But anyways, it was just, again, a picture of... <laughs> God had to remove the mixture in order to start moving in a people that were truly about his purposes and not their own purposes. Because unfortunately, it's the heart of man that we all want to use God for our own ideas. And it's mm -hmm. not easy to lay that down and say, no, God, I want what you want, right? The flesh wants its own thing. He says, I need you to be willing to lay all that down and accept that my way, and because of course the reality is his way for us is better than anything we want on our own. But it's the unknown, it's faith. We have to give up our own ideas and trust him, and then he moves powerfully. Oh, wait, I know what you mean when it shimmers like, so like at the bottom of a rainbow, mm -hmm. it like doesn't shimmer much, but then like at the red part? Maybe. That. So it here's makes the, this like special heat. Yeah, that here's like here's the thing. It's really late where Miss Ariana is. Uh, I gotta move quickly through this, okay? Okay. All right. So <laughs> twenty. Um, Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them: Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and with shoulder, and thrust at all the weak with your horns until you have scattered them abroad. Therefore I deliver my flock, and they will no longer be a prey, and I will judge between one sheep and another. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. So we see this picture of Jesus, right? We see a, a cared-for people, or sheep, and we see one shepherd, Jesus, over him. 25, I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness. So we have a people that kind of come out of the ways of the world, right? They're in the wilderness, but we have God. And what is that? Again, that's that tabernacle's picture, right? And I will make them in the place around my hill a blessing. 
27, also the tree of the field will yield its fruit and the earth will yield its increase. So he's saying, I, I'm going to bless. There, there's actually a word we read recently and Van asked me about it. Why? He, he's there. Um, but it's God creating his garden reality, his kingdom of heaven around those who are his, right? And he says, I will make my hill, those around places around my hill, a blessing. And he said, there's, there's uh, fruitful trees here. The earth will yield. Like, I will provide. I will bless. <laughs> then they will know that I am the Lord, and I have broken the bars of their yoke. So, again, that's slavery to the systems of this world, right? He says, I've broken those off. I am the Lord. I am theirs. And now they simply have to live under. Think about the way God set up for Adam and Eve. Just don't do this one thing, and I'll bless you in every way. That's God's heart, right? He says, I'm going to break off the yoke of the ways of this world for you, and I'm going to bless you. You simply have to choose to live according to my ways. No one will make them afraid. Again, you know, no fear of the world. 30, then they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people. So, again, we have this as a picture of tabernacles. We saw the picture of judgment, too. It's these holidays that are all connected here in the fall. Um, but this picture of God with his people, his people united with him and each other and blessed, separated unto him. His culture lived out in the wilderness, outside of the ways of the world around them. At Passover, Jesus restored a way for people to approach God. Feast of Weeks, the Holy Spirit made a way for people to know God's ways in specific application, right? So we can listen to God. Oh, okay, I'll do this now. I'll do, I don't know why, it just popped in my head. Do you ever see the uh, movie Harriet? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Har- is it Tubman? Harriet Tubman? The, you know Harriet Tubman, you heard of her? It's new, right? Uh, a couple new. years old. Yeah, it's called the Underground Railroad. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I we just saw it as like an interesting historical movie. I didn't know much about it going in, but it's uh, it's about her. Like uh, apparently, she would she would just pray, and the Lord would show her like turn left. And so all these people were trying to get her. And, and I did see that. Did you? Okay. I did see that. And then she would yep. just go like walk through this lake, and all these people were following her. Like, what are you talking about? Walk through the lake, and they end up. It only ends up being chest high, and they get mm-hmm. you know they don't get captured by the people. I don't know why that just thought of me, but it's just, you know, that Holy Spirit makes that possible, right? Um, But in the fall feast, God will finish things just as he started things, all in all. It's the fulfillment of his plans. It's his garden renewed, his kingdom people living together in peace, joy, and righteousness. God's way. And what did he say? He said to rule and reign and multiply, right? Expand his kingdom. That's what, that was what he, you know, he told Adam. That's still his plan. And so uh, Paul gives a good uh, picture of this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. Um, Van, you want to read uh, verses 20 through 28? First Corinthians what? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20. You know what? We can even just do 20 through 26. Christ has been risen from the dead, 
first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by, by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Whereas in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when, all, when he hands the, over the kingdom to the God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjugation under his feet. That's good. So Jesus is the first fruits, right? That's the holiday he rose from the dead on. It's a spring holiday. Um, and of, he says, since by a man came death, right? We're all born into the family of Adam. And so we're born into death. But, but resurrection from the dead comes from Christ, right? And Adam all die and Christ all will be made alive but each in his own order. So there's a progression here. The religious spirit doesn't want us to understand that there might be a, a progression, that there might be some people that one thing's happening and other people another thing's happening. But he, he this scripture is actually pretty clear about that. Um, Christ the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. So we kind of have a picture of summer here. And then the end comes when he hands over the kingdom to God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. So God has now been handed everything, right? And every other rule and authority has been abolished, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Again, that's the fall feasts. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. So what does this picture look like? Because, you know, Paul's done a pretty good job of showing the core of the High Holy Days of the Fall Feast here in, in these things, in the, this just paragraph, basically. But, but what does the picture look like? What does the process look like? He requires a people to actively volunteer. He's, he, his plan is to turn, and what he's doing is to turn these people into a nation of kings and priests before the final judgment. He must have a people. And, you know, am I making that up? No, let's look at a scripture that, that says that. Let's go to Psalm 110. It starts out, The Lord says to my Lord. Remember, Jesus, this is the most quoted, um, I think other than like the Ten Commandments, this is the most quoted part of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, it's like Jesus, Peter, Paul, uh, Jesus, Peter, Paul, and if you think Hebrews is not Paul, I think they all quote it. I can't remember if John does. Um, Mary. What? Mary quotes it? Oh, I got you. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Got it. Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So who's doing it? God said he's doing it. God says to Jesus, sit at my right hand. I'm going to make your enemies a footstool for your feet, right? The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion. So he's ruling from Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So we're back to Jesus ruling, but how is he ruling? Three, your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. So now we have a people volunteering to be his army, right? 
in holy array from the womb of the dawn. So holy array, we have a people that have taken on, we, we mentioned this earlier, right? The holiness of God, set apart people unto God uh, from the womb. So let me read the next one. The womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. So womb and youth require a, a reborn people, like, right? A new, a new life, a life of God, not, not of this world, not of the flesh, not of Adam. And the dawn and the dew represent a new day, like God doing something new that hasn't been done before. For the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So are we a priest under the Levitical order, like a family of Aaron? Is that the priesthood that we're, that, that we're to be under? No, according to the order of Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? He was both king and priest, right? So we're to be a kingdom of priests. What did God tell Moses when he was inviting the people, all the people up the mountain to be his set-apart people? He said, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests, right? That was his plan. They said, we're not going up that mountain. Send Moses and Aaron. We'll, we'll do what they say, right? Well, according to the order of Melchizedek, we'll be a priest forever. Jesus is the high, you know, Hebrews goes into this. Jesus will be the high priest of the order of Melchizedek. But we are to come into this order. Um. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. So again, the same picture of him bringing down the ways of the world and judging those things, but, but bringing up his kingdom, his, his people under his way. And so we're, we're commanded to rejoice during the Feast of Tabernacles. It's Deuteronomy 16, 14. Um, so it's, he doesn't say that about every holiday. I think there's only two where it's mentioned. But he, we're commanded to rejoice during this holiday. Uh, God has made us a part of his mighty victory, right? It is finished. It's just a matter of living it out, right? To actually implementing what God has planned from the beginning. So we should rejoice. We should never be overwhelmed or upset about anything in this world. Because God is doing it, and he's inviting us to be a part of it. And if we're here, we've all said, yes, Lord, <laughs> I want to be a part of this. Um, so we need to quickly realize the tremendous grace he's giving us. And, and it is a thing of joy. Um, he's been and will continue to teach us his ways. And he will fashion us into a people who learn his ways, obey and teach his ways. And teach others. So this is discipling, right? This is where discipling becomes incredibly important. That we learn his ways. That we teach each other his ways. And that we come into the culture of his house. Rather than being ruled by the culture of the world around us. Remember when Mary and uh, one of Jesus' brother, or maybe multiple, came to him and they, you know the social norms at the time that he is absolutely expected to go to them, drop what he's doing, go to them and honor them. Right. But he says, no, I'm about my father's business right now. Who are, who's my mother? Who's my brother? It's these who listen and do what the things I'm speaking, the words of the father, right? That's my family. That's what I'm about. It's learning his ways, not the ways of what we've grown up in, what's around us. Um, and, and this is how cultures build up, right? This is, he wants us to learn his ways and represent his ways to a hurting world around us. So he's doing two things simultaneously. 
He's shaking the world so they begin to question, wait a minute, what the, the things I always thought and believed and, and put my trust in are falling apart. What's the mm-hmm. truth? What's real? What do I really need? Meanwhile, mm-hmm. he's teaching us, here are my ways so that we can be a blessing to those people who come to the point of saying, I, it's funny that friend I mentioned I had lunch with last week, I, I've had a couple of dreams a couple of years ago, um, which kind of gave the impression that I might share the, you know, the ways of the Lord with him. And so I'm, I'm just kind of actively watching and waiting. I, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know for sure that, that was, could have been a dream, dreams of the soul. But if it was of the Lord, then I fully expect it to happen. But he, it, it, I, I don't believe in preaching to people who aren't hungry to learn, right? So I mm-hmm. kind of drop a hook in the line every once in a while and uh, see, <laughs> see if there's a bite. And at some point, there's enough shaking where, you know, people who are called will say, teach me what you know, right? Grab hold of the robe and say, show me your ways. Um, okay. Um, and, and so he's, he wants to transform not just one, but a, a race of people, a tribe of people, right? Not of any particular skin color or, or worldly culture but of one heart willing to give everything to be a part of what he's doing. Um, so next week, we'll, like I said, start Sunday night. Monday's kind of the first first day. The biblical day starts on the night. And uh, the, the Feast of, of Tabernacles will be for a week. And I wanted to kind of end with two scriptures that show us a picture of this. Uh, Revelation and Matthew. The first is Revelation chapter 7, uh, 9 to 17. And I'll... Let's see. I'll just read it. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And and so they're worshiping the Lord, right? I'm going to skip down to 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, those who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And so John says, I don't know, Lord, you know. Right? I, I, <laughs> I'm kind of freaking out here about everything you're showing me, Lord. I, I don't know what's going on. You tell me. That's me when anybody asks me about a wedding update. That's my answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he says, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes. So this is, this is the process of discipline, of discipleship, right? And made them white in the blood of the lamb. So the white robe represents that they're clean and pure, now, right? Well, how do they become clean and pure? Is it because they pulled up their britches and they never did anything wrong? No, it's because they were completely soaked in the blood of the lamb. Right, they completely attained his righteousness because they had completely given themselves over to him. And so, fifteen for this reason, they're before the throne of God. You want to go before the throne of God? I do. That sounds kind of amazing, right? He says this is how we become. It's, and and what does that mean? It means living fully in a kingdom reality with throne room access. Right? I'm not talking about after we die. I'm talking about living in the fullness of the kingdom life while we're here now in these bodies. Um, 
and, and they serve him day and night in his temple. So we're, we're living a, a dual life, right? We're, we're in this world, but we're living a reality where, where we're entering the throne room. We're entering the temple of God. We're in the presence of God. Um, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. Again, so this picture, the tabernacle, mm-hmm. if you think about it, um, God established the tabernacle through Moses. The temple was David's idea, right? The tabernacle was, was given by God to Moses so that wherever the people went, the tabernacle was with them and the presence of God was mm-hmm. with them, right? And so mm-hmm. he says, I will spread my tabernacle over my people, right? So presence of God with us wherever we go. And presence of God, like it's always with us, presence of God is everywhere, right? But th- this is a tangible, powerful grace with his people. 16, they will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life. So he's our God. We have no needs and we have the rivers of life, the waters of flowing life available to us and flowing through us. Uh, And then Matthew chapter 13, verses 37 to 44. Would you read that, Adriana? He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Okay? Yeah, to through 44. Oh, sorry. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him. 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So these are a picture of what God's doing on on one on a large scale that we're invited to be a process of. And then the last bit is kind of how how we come into it. Um, So he says the kingdom of heaven is like one who sows good seed is the son of man. He's explained the parable. I, I, I'm assuming we've read it before, but it's tares and wheat, mm-hmm. right? The field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, right? So he's are the, these are the sons of God. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. So they're all growing up together, right? The enemy has mm-hmm. sowed them in, Right. But he says, but he's, there's going to come a day when they are gathered up and burned in fire at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send forth angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks. So he says, I'm going to remove the stumbling blocks from my kingdom. Well, what happens then? I, I gave the examples earlier of the mission trips. Well, God's power and presence manifests in a people fully dedicated to him. 
the, the larger numbers are actually a bad thing for the people if they're not committed. Large numbers are great if everyone's committed and of one heart. That's wonderful. If we have a bunch of mixture, well, it's, we're, we've allowed ourselves to dilute the power of God in our midst. And so, oops, sorry, I lost my place. Um, 41, the Son of Man will suffer. I said that, uh, and those who commit lawlessness, these are being removed, right? Remember what God said through Ezekiel, right? We, we gave that example. He said, I've got to remove these who are messing up my good pasture and the, the nice waters from, from my sheep. And we'll throw them into the furnace of fire. 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So this is Jesus explaining the end times plan. But then the hidden treasure, it's interesting. He goes right into this, right? What does that look like for me? Well, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Can you imagine selling all you have? Because he's an honorable, honest guy, right? So he buries the thing. How does he know that the owner of the field didn't unbury the thing and then sell him the field? And now he's got a field. He doesn't have any money for, for seed, for tools, for workers. He's just got a field. Unbury Huh? And buries it. Yeah. Digs it out. Yeah. So, um, he's, he, he's committing everything, right? He's just having faith that I'm going to own this field and I'm going to own this treasure. He's saying, he's saying, if we want the kingdom, we have to be fully willing to give everything. And then God will show up and God will do what he's always promised. It's what he's called us for. It's what he's made clear he's doing in this season. And, and he has the power. We don't have to worry about how he'll do it or what he'll do. We simply have to say, yes, Lord, I give you everything to do this. So that, that's what the fall feasts are about. And, you know, there's, there will be a day when, bam, each, each one is fully completed. But I find in this season each year, God pours out just something special as I seek him. And, you know, of course, we don't have to. There's nothing religious about it. There's, there's nothing that has to be done. But, but to be unaware of what he's doing, I, I think, is really missing a lot because he's going to fulfill these things. And so he actually makes it possible for us to see what he's doing and gather a glimpse of how that impacts our life and his plan for our lives. Um, Care Beth, would you pray for us? And then we'll, uh, I'll turn off the recording and we'll take communion. Father, I thank you, Lord, for just the season that we're in. I thank you for the rest stillness and the revelation Lord. would you pray for again eyes to see and ears to hear in this season for willing and open hearts to you for a quieting and a removal of the distractions and just a, a fierce focus in this time upon you Lord. a desire for you in your kingdom ways Lord, we just...
confess with our mouths and in our spirits that we want to be a part of whatever you're doing. Let it be done in this group, in our family, in our lives. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Mm. Callum, you want to say one last prayer before I turn off the recording? No? Sure? Well, I guess so. Okay. God, I pray that you that you give us a good take tomorrow and that just entering in this holiday. I pray Christopher or Columbus Day, which is soon and also Oh, Tabernacle. I pray that you just bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.